Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. San Francisco's got about a thousand miles of streets. I live in San Francisco and recently found out I live near a privately owned street. Why are there private streets at all? Who owns these streets? And why would someone want to own one of these streets? That's Victoria Ang. She lives near Debose Triangle in San Francisco. She got curious about this after she Googled her street. It popped up on a list as an intersection of a privately owned street nearby. Today, we're taking a deep dive into San Francisco's lesser-known pavement. No mission or Lombard streets here. This episode is all about the quirky and mundane routes that make up the city's collection of privately owned streets. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're answering Victoria's question about private streets in San Francisco. Why are there private streets? Who owns them? And why would someone want to own a street? We've got KQED reporter Vanessa Rancano here to help us out. Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Olivia. So who did you find to help us sort out these questions? So I talked to Rachel Gordon. She's the director of policy and communications for San Francisco Public Works. Way before I ever thought I'd work for Public Works, when I was a teenager who loved San Francisco, I had a huge Public Works map on my bedroom wall, and we still make those maps. The department dates back to 1900, and it's responsible for keeping tabs on all the city's streets and updating maps as San Francisco grows and changes. It also maintains all the city's roadways. So what did Rachel tell you about the city's private streets? 
So there are 288 private streets in the city right now. Most of them are these sort of unglamorous access roads used for commercial purposes. Basically like a little road that leads to a factory or warehouse or a business park. Or it could be a long driveway leading to like a college or a hospital, something like that. Even though they're private streets, you can usually drive on them or bike or walk on them, but they're maintained by that property owner, not the city. Then there are some residential private streets, so usually they're owned by a group of property owners who live on the street. But these are much less common. Rachel couldn't give me a good estimate of how many exactly, but she says much less common. Then I learned that there's this other category of streets that aren't maintained by the city, and those are called, quote-unquote, unaccepted streets. There are 148 miles of those. And the deal with them is that they're not privately owned, but they don't meet the city's standards for a legit street. Glen Park in San Francisco is a great example where there are a number of unpaved alleyways or lanes, really. And um, those streets are kind of very delightful to walk through. Um, They're dirt paths. A lot of times the adjacent property owners will plant flowers or put up sculptures there. So to be, quote unquote, accepted by the city, a street has to be at least 40 feet wide. It needs to have a curb and a sidewalk, et cetera, et cetera. If it meets those standards, then the city will take responsibility for cleaning it and filling potholes and doing all the other maintenance that's required. So given what you've learned, it sounds like generally whether a street is public or private or unaccepted, it's mostly about who maintains it. Like the public generally still has access to all these streets. So in the case of those driveways or access roads going to business parks or schools or hospitals, often people can use those. But the residential private streets are a different story. And I think to understand that, we should look at the story of Presidio Terrace. This is one of the wealthiest areas in the city, and both the neighborhood and the street itself are called Presidio Terrace. The street is sort of oval-shaped and lined with multi-million dollar houses. It's the kind of place where when a house goes on the market, teams of realtors get dispatched. Welcome to 17 Presidio Terrace. My name's Lisa Wolf. And I'm Neil Ward. It's owned and maintained by the neighborhood's homeowners association. We saw six bedrooms, seven baths, three half baths, over 10,000 square feet, four different levels, all for $20 million. It's a gated community, and there's even this guard who's out there to keep people out. So remember our question asker, Victoria, wanted to know why someone would want to own a private street? And I think this gate points to one answer, to control access. Presidio Terrace was originally built on the idea of exclusion. It was created in 1905 and was explicitly advertised as a community for Caucasians. A racial covenant barring non-white folks from living there was one of the key selling points in an early brochure for the development. The covenant was invalidated in 1948 when the Supreme Court made the enforcement of those kinds of restrictions illegal, but the gate is still there. Presidio Terrace was at the heart of the highest profile fight involving private streets in the city in recent memory. I think some of our listeners might remember this saga. Oh my gosh, yeah. It got a ton of local press and even some national attention. Only in San Francisco, multi-million dollar homes on a street for which owners paid $14 a year in taxes until that street sold at auction. 
The city put the street up for sale in 2015 because the Homeowners Association hadn't paid taxes on it in like 30 years. They'd apparently forgotten to provide an updated billing address, so these super rich people defaulted on a $14 a year property tax. By 2015, they owed the city about $1,000 in outstanding fees. And at that time, this San Jose couple, Michael Chang and his wife Tina Lam, were looking for real estate investments. This parcel came up in San Francisco, had a great address as a Presidio Terrace on it. That's Michael. So he and his wife bid on it, and they won it for just over $90,000. Okay, but why on earth would you want to buy a street? Well, the thing is, they had no idea what they'd just bought. Yeah, because when we were looking at it, it was really confusing quite what it was, because it said it was part of a street and part of the HOA, and it was a vacant land parcel. So Michael says they had to go to City Hall and dig through title records to figure it out. And when they finally did, they were like, "Okay, what do we do with this street? Well, we thought it was pretty cool to have just for the sake of having something in San Francisco. But it was also, well, not a great property that we could build on. Turns out owning a street came with a lot of responsibility and limited potential. You are now responsible for maintaining the street. To the city's satisfaction, which could mean like planting trees, trimming trees, paving the streets. And then what you can use beyond that, it's a little bit up to your creativity. So what did they decide to do with this new investment of theirs? They were considering charging for parking spaces, like either charging the residents or charging the public for parking access. They figured that would make enough money to cover the taxes and maintenance. And Michael says they were also thinking about holding events there. So that's what people with private streets could do. They could hold community activities without, like, blocking up city streets. So we could do, like, a fair or a farmer's market or something like that. I wanted to make it open to the public because, you know, it's a great-looking street, but nobody could see it. But that is not how it worked out. No, the homeowners were not happy, right? Nope. When Presidio Terrace homeowners got wind of the fact that their street had been sold, they took legal action against the city and Michael and his wife, and they started pressuring city leaders. The shocked homeowners are calling on the Board of Supervisors to negate the sale. The HOA had a lobbyist working for them, and all of this got a ton of media attention. Among those weighing in today, former Presidio Terrace homeowner Senator Dianne Feinstein, who wrote to the board, quote, In the United States of America, no one should lose property at the hands of the government without knowing all about it. In the end, the supervisors sided with the homeowners and returned the street to them. So then I got my dose of reality that that's kind of how the wealthy had things. They could buy their way and get the things that they want. The city refunded Michael and Tina the $90,000 they had paid. And the couple tried suing the city, but that didn't work out. So by 2019, Michael says they were just really worn out. This whole Presidio Terrace drama is part of what inspired our question asker, Victoria, to send in her question, right? Yeah, she said if she hadn't read about that, she probably wouldn't have cared as much when she learned that this street near her was privately owned. As I exit my street, I look straight into this privately owned street. It has a fancy sign that actually says the name of it. It's called Boynton Court. And so now every time I walk by it, I just now wonder about this mysterious courtyard slash private street. This has been haunting me ever since. Olivia, so you know I had to go check this out. 
Oh, I do. Hello, hello. Okay. I'm at the corner of Belcher and 14th Street, and I am looking at Boynton Court. So this is a little tough to describe, but basically there are these two Victorians, and instead of having a space between them, they're actually connected on the second and third levels. But at the street level, there's a passageway through to the back. So this private street is really more of a walkway. A little red gate, and there is an Amazon package hanging from one of the prongs along the top of the gate. There's a sign above it that says Boynton Court. There's an old call box next to the gate, and I tried all the buttons, but I didn't think it worked. Sounds pretty broken, right? But eventually somebody buzzed me in. Oh! So I walked down this corridor and it opened into a little courtyard with another building behind it, facing the courtyard. One of the neighbors stuck his head out a window and agreed to come down and talk. Tim Dunn, D-U-N-N. He's lived here almost 16 years, longer than any of his neighbors, he says. Point Court was built in 1893, along with the buildings in front of Point Court on 14th Street. The original person who built them was a butcher on Polk Street, and... Um, He built it all as rental apartments. So who owns this court today? Well, according to Tim, it's shared between the owners. This owner owns half of that passageway. This owner owns half of that passageway. And then we all have easement agreements that we can use it. Yeah, it's all privately owned different parcels. He said sometimes figuring out how to handle the maintenance costs is a pain, but they work it out and they pay their tax bill. Vanessa Roncano is KQD's education reporter. Thanks for moonlighting here with the Bay Curious crew, Vanessa. No problem. It was super fun. Victoria Ang sent in this week's question. And Victoria, as a thanks, we're sending you a super sweet Bay Curious water bottle. So keep your eyes on your mailbox. Huge thanks to all of you who came out to our two Bay Curious trivia nights last week. Our top winners from night one were first place, we have No Doug, aka We Are Jocelyn. Second place, Ibzu Road. And third, Eat My Schwartz. The top three teams from night two were first place, Prea Ale. In second was Carl Loves Olivia. And last on the podium was August Gyro. Okay, I did not take French in high school, so I really hope Prea Ale sounded okay. If you want in on our next Big Curious Trivia Night, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can get signed up. Big Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Sebastian Mino Buccelli, Vanessa Rancano, and me, Olivia Allen Price. We're produced in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. 
Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.